Anthony, welcome. Thank you very much, Don. It's been a while since we sat in the room together here. It, it has. It feels like it's been a while since I've seen anyone in person in general, so <laughs> it's nice to be here. Well, God willing, the vaccine is coming, and maybe within six months, maybe you know things will start getting to be normal again. Yeah. Uh, how's your family holding up with all this? We're, we're doing okay. We're eating a lot and watching a lot of Netflix, probably not exercising enough, but um, you know we're making it through, just yeah. kind of holding things down, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I kind of I kind of feel like we're at the peak of it right now because we're experiencing the the surge, right? You know, and the numbers are astronomical. I mean, I mean, it's scary and shocking to everybody. I mean, right. when they said it was coming, I didn't. I don't think anybody anticipated it'd be like this. Exactly, and it's a little disappointing that the holidays are right around the corner too, and you know, all that those activities and gift giving and family dinners. You're probably going to have to do some modifications to that right now. So, yeah. well, speaking of that, do you guys have any modified plans for? Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of that? Yeah, so actually for Thanksgiving, we're going to uh, do a, a separately uh, kind of organized Thanksgiving dinner. We're all going to sit at separate tables. Um, we're all going to be outside, trying to do the best way to, to keep everybody safe as possible. That'd so. be fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's not a, a, an original thought. I found out from watching TV, but, <laughs> you know, the, all, the thought is we can invite as many people as we want so long as they get COVID testing. Uh, before they come to the party. And I mean, that was my thought. I thought, hey, I'm brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And now they're saying, well, yeah, but you could catch it on the way there, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. So, I think I think you still got to be a little bit careful testing or not. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting how the country, the world is learning how to deal with a pandemic. And it's been so, like we didn't learn anything uh, 100 years ago. We didn't look back to 100 years ago and be yeah. prepared for this, it seems. It's exactly. like the masks, masks were important, then it wasn't important. Right. You know, it was to protect only the person that you could possibly sneeze on. Now it could protect you. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much that, that we're learning. But uh, fortunately, I, I think that the vaccines are going to bring spirits up at least. I know? hope so too. Hope so. Yeah. Hopefully we can get Pfizer and uh, Moderna working full speed to, to get those ready for, for uh, public use. Yeah. And I hope that, I know the government is paying for a lot of stuff. I just hope they put their resources behind this because the, uh, the country needs it. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about kind of a interesting subject today. It's going to be uh, about sanctions in family court. Yeah. And when I say sanctions, what am I really talking about? Well, sanctions are, are a really fun topic, I think, because sanctions... For you, because you, you're so good at getting them. But go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Sanctions is, is uh, punishment, right? We're, we're talking about punishment for bad behavior. And specifically, Family Code provides for a specific type of punishment under Family Code Section 271, where one attorney or one party engages in behavior or tactics that tend to controvert the public policy of the state to facilitate reasonable settlement of cases. Are you telling me that in family court people misbehave, sir? Unbelievable, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, one one would not believe that actually in family court some people might misbehave on on, on their cases. So, you know, so much so that they had to create a, a statute for it. So tell me about the types of behavior that 271 might apply to. You know, 271 gets thrown around a lot. Um, I I encounter uh, issues where other parties don't respond to settlement offers within a reasonable time. One party comes to the table with something really unreasonable or they file unnecessary motions, um, a lot of you know inappropriate communications, there might be arguing or bickering, things like that. Um, a lot of things fall under the realm of 271. And the courts really kind of adopted this provision because they wanted to reintroduce some civility 
and some reasonableness to the family court separation process. Yeah, otherwise people have no uh, reason to behave and they can make these things go on and on and try to win by attrition and yeah. all that stuff that we see. And people actually do do that, but sanctions are applied. So. They do, they do. Wow. Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, two separate recent appellate court decisions. That's right. Okay, concerning sanctions. We're not going to cover every nuance in uh, Family Code Section 271, which is the sanction code, and there's other codes. We're not going to go through this as a lesson on all the things you could learn, but right. we want to kind of bring up to date some of the recent cases and some of the things that they said. So why don't we start off with the lightweight one first? Okay. Uh, the first case is going to be Nicole George versus uh, Kayvon Sham Shirazi. Uh, the appellant is Mr. Shirazi, and he's seeking relief from an order of sanctions um, that were awarded in the amount of $13,000 coming from a final judgment in a fraternity case. The problem is he didn't wait. Uh, he waited quite a long time in order to try to get those sanctions. So let me stop you there. He's trying to get sanctions against his ex-wife. Oh, no, he was... Uh, or or ex-girlfriend or whatever it was. That's right. Okay. So his his uh, ex-girlfriend was able to get a sanctions award against him in the amount of $13,000. Okay. But he didn't like that. So he wanted to seek relief from those sanctions. And uh, ultimately, uh, he was not able to do so. Um, there was a... Uh, there's a civil code rule of court that basically says that any type of post-judgment uh, sanctions request must be filed within the period of time that you have for an appeal. Um, that code applies to civil, you know, uh, contested cases. Civil cases are things that involve either like personal injury or business disputes, things like that. But there was a question of whether that applied to family law cases or not. And specifically, uh, whether that applied to 271 sanctions. And we, we think about that because 271 sanctions usually come up at the end of the case. You usually make that request after all the other issues have been decided in the case, and now the courts will turn to the behavior of the parties during the proceeding. Well, the way that that issue gets determined usually follows some type of final judgment. Um, so what happened in this case is that uh, Mr. Shirazi waited, uh, I believe it was 226 days, uh, to try to seek relief from it. And the court said, well, it was a little bit too long uh, for you to seek relief from those con uh, contempt sanctions. Oh, sorry, not the, the 271 sanctions. Yeah. Okay, so the timing is everything. Timing is everything. Okay. Um, I'm not, I, it's been a while since I've read this decision, but mm -hmm. is there a difference between uh, seeking sanctions that derive out of behavior for, during the pendency of a divorce versus post-judgment conduct? Uh, no, you, you are entitled to sanctions both for... Uh, well, what, here's what I mean. I, maybe the question was wrong. Okay. Um, let's assume that you're timed out from seeking sanctions for conduct that occurred while you were divorcing your, your spouse. Mm -hmm. But post-judgment, you know, there's a lot of nefarious conduct going on, you know, right. withholding the children, uh, harassing, saying, you know, nasty things, you right. know, that, that the court's going to frown upon. Is the court precluded from issuing subsequent s sanctions? Sub and what I mean subsequent, subsequent to the judgment right. in entered? So this is, this is an interesting um, uh, take on the specific language of 271. And 271 specifically says, uh, frustrates the policy of the state uh, to promote settlement of cases. And when we talk about settlement, settlement can be settlement of the initial proceeding, but also that can uh, has been expanded to apply to post-judgment motions. So any issues or disputes that come up after a judgment's already been entered or following final trial. So... You, Yes, you can file a request for sanctions after the case has already been decided, but only as to issues that have arisen after the judgment. Um, uh, 
uh, so the court doesn't want people to be waiting, you know, 226 days. I think in this case, um, there was discussion that the the request was made when the other party was on a maternity leave for five months, um, so that the timing issue was obviously calculated to uh, prejudice the other party's ability to defend defend against it. Okay, yeah, so they have to be brought timely. I mean, you can't go back. You know, I'm in. I was in court today. Not going to name <laughs> my client or the opposing party or anything like that, but this was a, a criminal matter with with domestic violence alleged because you know we do both, um, and the alleged victim is claiming that the client had engaged in uh, domestic violence four years ago, right? And the police wrote it up and was submitted to the DA, and I'm thinking, uh, isn't there such a thing as statute of limitations here? Right. And you know, I mean, it was very interesting. So the law really does protect against people bringing things up way in the past, Correct. and particularly in family court, court, right? Yeah, so so there's a principle that's, I think, come up since very, very olden times um, called latches. And basically, if you sit on your rights to go and act, uh, obtain some sort of relief, and you wait to do so in, in a way that prejudices the other party or it impedes their ability to defend against that request, you can be barred from getting that relief. So in this case, uh, 226 days, the court felt was a little bit too long. Uh, it needs to be brought a little bit earlier. Um, they did specifically say that that uh, Cal Rule Court section, though, didn't apply. So the request doesn't have to be 60 days, uh, but it can't be 226, I don't think. Okay, okay. Now let's go to the more complicated case. Okay. And this is actually more fun for me. So this, is, this is an interesting one because you deal with contempt a lot yeah. uh, as, a, as a former DA, right? And uh, I'm not in contempt a lot. I <laughs> either prosecute or defend contempt a lot. That's right. a, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so we have a we have a case now in which a party is seeking contempt uh, against another party, but in conjunction with that contempt request, they're also requesting two two seventy one fees. And basically, uh, this has to do with a transfer of marital property. Uh, basically, without going into all of the details, it was an unpermitted either transfer in violation of either the automatic restraining orders or a court order of a piece of property to, I believe it was a foreign country. I think it was Brazil. Um, so, so now, the so other, let me let me stop you with the facts here. Is that yeah. now now you're kind of refreshing my memory? So we've <laughs> got this husband and wife that are having a contentious divorce. Right. Right. They go to trial, and wife is ordered to do something. Correct. She's ordered to transfer title to hubby. Right? That's right. And the, and the pr- property that's in question is in a foreign country where she's from, right? Correct. Yeah. What country was that? It's Brazil. Okay. Brazil. So she's messing around all this time, and the court's con- continually making orders for her to do things, and she's right. not doing them. Then it comes down to the specific order. You will transfer this property to him that's in Brazil. Right. What happens next? I don't think she does it. I think she does it either does it in a way to spite him or just ignores the order altogether. Yeah. So, so what she does is she transfers it uh, to a family member down there through her attorney in right. Brazil. And in Brazil, the court's like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll transfer it, not a problem. <laughs> and they basically ignore the, the American order, right? right? Okay. So she's violated and she's done it through a, a certain way. So what happens next? So now um, husband wants to go in and get, number one, a contempt order because she violated the court order knowingly and willingly, and she had the ability to comply. Um, but in addition to that, he wants uh, attorney's fees and sanctions, and the court grants it. Um, they grant it in the amount of, I believe, $200,000. How much did he originally ask for? It's like 400000 Yeah, right? exactly. So we, we see a lot of times the courts will cut down these sanctions requests because everybody goes in with the best you know, number that you can, and, and hopefully if you, you miss the, the moon, you fall among the stars. 
Um, but the, uh, the, the petitioner in this case is going to go to appellate court and try to really request relief saying that uh, the appellant's uh, re- sanctions request was based on anticipated fees rather than fees that he actually incurred. Okay, uh, meaning that when he was pleading for his fees, he told the trial court, hey, I'm going to have to expend uh, more money right. on attorneys and costs for having to get this done. Exactly. Right? What did the Court of Appeals say about that? The courts agreed, actually, saying that they need particularity in terms of the amount of sanctions uh, that can be requested. So uh, the court basically said that there wasn't sufficient evidence demonstrating that the $200,000 was uh, charged or tethered to any anticipated attorney's fees or costs. Therefore, additional uh, facts and documents and information needs to be elicited. Interesting. So the way that I read this case is that it has to be tethered to uh, actual uh, fees and costs. Now, it didn't say that the trial court can't award future uh, fees, but it's got to be broken down. That's correct. So it did specifically say that the trial court can award 271 fees for anticipated future fees. And that's a that's a victory for the good guys. I mean, exactly. To, to, to exactly. an extent. You don't have to come, come back to the well. You could say, give it to me in advance because this is what I think it's going to cost. Especially, I think, when you're dealing in a case where a party has been consistently violating court orders and there's an expectation that you're going to be successful on that fee request, the number is certainly going to be up for dispute. Um, but there's an expectation that due to the history of behavior of that party, that that party's going to the ultimate other party's going to be able to obtain a fee order. Yeah. Now the one thing that uh, the husband was shot down on, on the court of appeal was uh, throwing extras in there, like uh, his plane fare. That's right? right. And other things like that. Right. So what what did the court of appeal say about that? They said they have to be reasonable uh, in or reasonably associated with the uh, fees fees and costs. Exactly. Right? It can't be you know if you if you spend money on plane tickets your hotels that's not covered under the code. Exactly. Right. So interesting. Okay. So it sounds to me that we learned two lessons from these two cases, okay? Uh, to sum up, uh, going backwards forward here is here is is that you can't ask for anticipated fees. Right. Okay, they've got to be tethered, though, uh, closely tethered to closely fees tethered. and costs. You can't just say, I'm going to estimate it's going to cost $200,000. Yep. Okay. And with respect to the other decision, what, what do we learn from that? We're learning that if you are going to go after fees uh, pursuant to um, behavior that occurred before judgment, don't wait too long to do so. Um, you don't have to do it within the civil period of time, but you also have to do it uh, within a reasonable period of time that doesn't prejudice the other party's ability to defend against it. Cool, cool. Well, I'm glad that uh, we went over this. This is technical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're good at the technical stuff. I, you know, I, I, I wanted to start today's program by saying that you know you're on a string of victories with technical <laughs> stuff, but we won't get into that. So, cool. We we enjoy the 271 subject just because it's so fun, right? It's we deal with with really negative behavior, um, both on the part of other parties and as well as other parties' counsel a lot of the time. So a lot of the time we're trying to get orders to reduce the animosity and the hostility in these types of cases, which is exactly what the statute is designed to do. So we evoke this this part of the, the law a lot, and we use a lot of these cases quite a bit. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us again, Anthony. You're very welcome. Come back soon. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, you too. <laughs>